G'day, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from the lands of the Gadigal people. This is ABC News Daily. One of the Labor government's top priorities in its first term is to hold a referendum to entrench an Indigenous voice to Parliament in the Constitution. Australia is decades behind a number of Scandinavian countries that have already done that for the Indigenous population there, known as Sami. Today, foreign correspondent reporter Lauren Day on the lessons we can learn from them. To understand the Sami people, you travelled into the depths of a Swedish forest. Just take me there with you. That's right. It was pretty incredible. As part of my report for Foreign Correspondent, we hiked for two hours from a town called Rienkhorn, which actually means reindeer lake. Uh, and we hiked through this gorgeous forest past these kind of bubbling brooks and picking wild berries. And we got up to our destination and you could hear where we were going before you saw it. It was just the grunts and bells of a thousand reindeer. Because we'd been invited along to the annual reindeer corral that happens in autumn before the winter migration, and that's a chance for reindeer herders to check all their animals before the winter migration. It's kind of like a stock take, I guess. Mm. Reindeer herding is a really important part of Indigenous Sami culture right across the area that the Sami live, which actually spans from Russia's Kola Peninsula across the borders of Finland, Sweden and Norway. And... I mean, not all Sami are reindeer herders. It's only about 10% nowadays. But it's a really important part of their, their connection to their culture and connection to the land. This sounds absolutely spectacular. A thousand reindeer. Wow, it must have been pretty incredible. It was really incredible. Uh, so I spoke with a local reindeer herder, Karen Kvafutnia, who says that it's really deeply set in their culture and that's why land is so important to Sami people. Mm. Just as it is to Indigenous Australians, the Sami are custodians of this ancient culture and Karen told me that her family have been involved in reindeer husbandry since ancient times and the land is so much more than just the earth or the forests that grow. It's it's a cultural landscape and it's an area that's been used by generations of her family. Mm. Like Australia as well, the Sami have been subject to a really long history of assimilation and discrimination by the state. You know, denied their language, their ability to practice their religion, their culture. So finally, in 1993, the Sami in Sweden argued for a voice to represent them to government. So that's when the Sami parliament was formed. And that's kind of Sweden's version of what we would say is our voice to parliament. So let's talk a bit more about the similarities or differences, I suppose, between what Sweden's doing and what we're doing here a bit later. But I really want you now to give me a sense of how this Sami parliament actually works. Yeah, the Sami parliaments, and there are actually Sami parliaments in Norway, Sweden and Finland. Mm -hmm. I think parliaments could be confusing for Australians because it's not parliament in the sort of Westminster sense. They, they don't have legislative power. It's more an elected representative body that advises the government on Sami issues. So they have 
elections every four years to vote for the members of the Sami parliaments to, to be represented at this national level. Norway's parliament was formed before Sweden's and that's kind of set up as the benchmark and the, and the model that has inspired the others. Mm-hmm. But re- the real goal of the Sami parliament is to strengthen that political position of the Sami, uh, give them a way to develop their language, their culture, their society. They debate issues uh, quite rigorously uh, and then they, they give advice to government and, you know, sometimes butt heads with government as well. Mm, Okay, so these Sami parliaments, they're in Norway, Sweden and Finland. They've been around for quite some time, almost 30 years. You found that the Sami people at this particular moment in time are facing a pretty big battle. Yeah, it's a really interesting battle actually and it's over green development, which is a phrase I don't think I'd come across before, but it's things like wind farms but also natural resource extraction for You know, the elements that go into wind farms, that go into electric vehicles, there are a lot of those critical materials that are needed Mm. for the green transition in the Arctic, in Sápmi, which is where the Sámi live. Um, Both the Swedish and Norwegian uh, presidents of the Sámi parliament have said that this is the biggest thing that they've ever had to confront, the biggest battle their voice has ever seen. You could kind of call it green colonisation and it's because those climate measures you're taking on behalf of the world population, unfortunately, our future is ruined by those measures. Green colonialism is a really interesting and and evocative phrase, that idea of their land being colonised, but this time for green technology. So one example of this is in the village of Vitangi, which is near where Karen lives. And that's where there's this huge untapped deposit of graphite. It's the biggest in Europe and really high-grade graphite. And that's an essential material that's needed for electric vehicle batteries. Now, there's a mine being proposed actually by an Australian-based company, Talga Group, and Chief Operating Officer Martin Phillips told me that the project will be really vital to the green transition and that the company is working with the Sami people to make this happen so that they can coexist. We operate in a way where we have been doing our exploration work in the summer, then leaving and ensuring that the reindeer can come in the winter. So our relationship actually at the local level has been, I think, very good in order to communicate and and engage. If you're not given that informed consent from the Sami villagers here, will you still proceed with, with digging? We'll still proceed with digging if, if the court gives us that permission too. We also went to Norway and we looked at a project up in the Nusia Mountains, up in the north of Norway, mm-hmm. and that's an area that contains the biggest deposit in the country of copper, which is also really critical in, in the green future in things like wind farms, solar farms and, again, electric vehicles. And once again, reindeer herders are really worried about the impact that this could have on their reindeer, on their ability to migrate. Mm, Tell me about the reindeer herder that you met there. Yeah, he was a guy called Nils Matasara. And he was talking to me about the last time that they mined the area where his summer pasture is, where that new copper mine is proposed. There used to be a copper mine back in the 70s when copper wasn't actually so much in demand as it is now. And he says back then his reindeer suffered because the big vehicles 
they they drove through, they kicked up all this dust and actually what happened was that settled on the ground and eventually a lot of reindeer, he says, got pneumonia and died. So he says this so-called green shift is not a green shift at all for Sami people. It's a brown shift. The, the authorities come up with these nice phrases like green shift, but everything's going to be destroyed and they still can call it the green shift. Mm, so I assume then, Lauren, that the Sami people are using the parliaments that have been set up to fight what these green minds going ahead, this, this push towards a green future. That's right. Obviously, in a place where an Indigenous minority is, you know, a tiny minority of the population, it's really important to have this voice. But the fight also really shows the differences between the power of the models. So Sweden's model is far less powerful than Norway's, and that's for a few reasons. It was actually set up within a government department. It's within the Ministry of Culture. So it's not truly independent from government, which makes it really difficult when it has to speak out against government. It's also got half the funding of the Norwegian model, uh, which makes it really hard, again, to research and to mount these cases against really big, powerful companies. And also, really importantly... Norway ratified this key UN convention which enshrines a right for the Sami to be consulted. That hasn't happened in Sweden, also hasn't happened in Australia, which is really interesting. Mm. But Norway, just like Sweden, is racing to go green. Uh, Oslo has the highest per capita electric vehicle ownership in the world. They've got almost a 100% renewable grid. And we went to Oslo to talk to the State Secretary for Energy, Andreas Bjelland Eriksson, and he said they have to push ahead with this development. We need, we need to be honest about the fact that we need to produce more renewable electricity, but we need to do it in a way that respects Indigenous rights. The president of the Sami parliament calls it green colonialism. Is it green colonialism? From, from our point of view, the important thing now is to work as uh, close together as possible with the reindeer herders, with the Sami people, to be able to find the framework that takes into account the, the, the rights of the Sami people. Uh, and that is our goal right now. They're going to have to push ahead and going to have to find a way to balance these two commitments, the commitment to the green future and to Indigenous rights. So, Lauren, we can see that Norway has a stronger Indigenous parliament than, say, Sweden does. Different models are there. What do you think are the lessons for Australia from these models of parliaments in Scandinavia? First and foremost, I think even in Sweden, where there is a lot of disquiet about the power of the Sami parliament, a lot of people aren't happy, they don't want to remove it. Mm. Both in Norway and in Sweden, by and large, the Sami think it's really important to have this voice to speak for them in these big issues. But I think from our conversations, the Sami would tell you that it's really important that an Indigenous community is the one who creates the model. In Sweden, their model was created by the Swedish state. That's blamed for a lot of the flaws that exist today in terms of its lack of independence from government. I think people would also say that the obligation to consult is really crucial. If there is no strong obligation for government to consult a voice, they just don't necessarily do it. Um, so that's been really, really critical in Norway. And I think also resourcing is very important. It's uh, 
really hard without the resources, without the staff, to be able to do the research and formulate positions on matters and actually advocate for a people. So I think that's really critical too. Lauren Day is an ABC reporter. You can see her foreign correspondent report tonight on ABC TV or catch it on iview. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese says the referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament will be held in the next financial year between July 2023 and July 2024. This episode was produced by Flint Duxfield and Chris Dengate, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer this week is Sydney Pete. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on the ABC Listen app. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.